What you are about to hear is a lesson taught in the Baird and Born Essentials class. For more information, or to download all the resources made available in this class, click the link in the episode description or visit barrettandborn.com. And now, this week's Essentials class. Last week, we started talking about the Creed. This is the, uh, this is the shortest of the three, the, the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, and then the uh, Athanasian Creed. So about within the first 200 years of the Christian message starting to spread abroad, what we had was people began recording what the apostles were saying. They began recording, uh, whether it was sermons or they, would, they were compiling uh, letters and, and sending them to each other saying, this is what the apostles were teaching. And, and what happened was through these documents that started to circulate and through the teaching of the apostles, people started putting down these, if you will, main sermon points. And as they started putting these main sermon points, there's different versions of it, but it kind of coalesced into what we're looking at today. And then as people brought heresy into the church, uh, they, at, at Nicene, redefined it and expanded it a bit to, to, to cover some of that heresy. And then Athanasius, again, expanded it into this one long, uh, beautiful, that we'll read it in one of these uh, class periods. But uh, this is it here that what we're working through one at a time here. So I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Apostolic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, and the resurrection of the body and life everlasting. Amen. So this is the creed. This is the teaching of the apostles. So we don't stray too far. We don't stray from this. Uh, otherwise, uh, we enter into non-Christian theology, and we cling to this for uh, various reasons. One, because we are supposed to be protecting the doctrine. Remember I said to you at the beginning, I said the point of this class, the, the Christian Essentials class, is to focus on three things, and it's what we believe, how we worship, and how we live. And I said, right now, this may be different at different times, but right now, generationally, we have a divide here. Um, the older generations are looking at doctrinal purity and saying the most important thing is what we believe. And then there's probably my generation and Generation X are saying, we're really concerned with how we worship. And you've seen that in the 80s and the 90s. There's a the big push to reform how churches worship, right? Uh, and then you have the, 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 the back end of the millennials and, 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 and why, I guess they would be, that are looking at the first one and saying, I don't think what we believe or how we worship matters, do that, whatever, that's a matter of the heart. But how we live is what's important. And, and what we're trying to say is these things are neither divisible uh, nor do we get rid of one without the other. Uh, because God exists in his truth, right? And if I were to say to my kids, hey, we're going to have Christmas and at about 10 o'clock we're going to open presents. And then the kids said, oh, that's great. And then they went to a different address at 11 o'clock. And then they were shocked that they weren't able to open presents. I would have said, well, I told you 10 o'clock at this address. And they said, but Dad, what really matters is just opening the presents. Okay, that's great, but you went to the wrong address at the wrong time, so there's no presents there. And so when we learn about the, 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 who God truly is 
and we worship him. And when I say when we worship God, it's not about a performance or the things you receive. It's about what we're doing in worship. That, that's what I mean. What, how we worship is how we receive the scriptures and the means of grace, you know, baptism and communion and the, the singing of the songs and the hymns. So I'm not talking about style there. I'm talking about the purpose of what you and I are doing when we come to worship as, as, as opposed to if we were to take worship out of the mix and say, let's just go live good lives. Okay, so we need all three of these. And we're right now what we're focusing on is what we believe. And so this creed is broken down into, you can tell, it's broken down into the, the, the Trinity. It starts with, I believe in the Father, then it's, I believe in the Son, then I hope the Holy Spirit. Then it goes into the church and the teachings of the church. And so the Apostles' Creed is setting us up to understand who God is. Now, on the one hand, you can look at this and say, this is kind of the cold, dead portion of learning. I want to get into some more practical things. However, if you get this wrong, and I will show you one example today, if you get this wrong, you stem off into some really uh, weird theology that actually messes up people's lives. So we have to have a greater understanding of God to be able to have a greater understanding of how we ought to live. And so last week we began with the, the first one, which was, I believe in God. And when we say, I believe in God, we looked at the, the, the Old Testament prayer, which would be a good prayer for you to memorize and use this as, you, as, we, as we try to move our lives toward having a, a rule of prayer where we're always praying without ceasing. Have some that are memorized. And it was in the Old Testament, they would say, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Um, and you shall love the Lord with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. And we said, when, when, when we say that God is one, we meant a few things. Number one, we mean that he is one in himself. The Father, Son, and the Spirit, as we're going to talk about, are one. But we're also saying that God is one in that the, 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 the simplicity is that there is only a singular power that exists in the world. Now, in our culture, we have this idea that it's good versus evil, and it's clashing against one another. The, Israel, uh, the, the Jewish people understood that that's not accurate. There's not a war between good and evil. There is only God. He is sovereign and above all things, and everything operates within the sovereignty of God. There's no war happening between God. It's not like, it's not, and I, I make this joke all the time, but it's not like your Facebook message where Jesus and the devil are arm wrestling, right? That, that's non-existent. God is sovereign over all. And, and we learn that in Job, Right when 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 the, when Satan comes into the throne of God and and says, "I want to tell you about this this one guy, Job," we see that God is completely sovereign over all things, and and He's so sovereign over all things that God goes into the end of the the the, the, the book of Job, and He says, "Do you have any idea what it was like when I hung the earth?" He's like, "Were you there when I put the ears and the tongue on the body and I and I fashioned this all together?" God says, "Job, you have no clue." And, and oftentimes on the earth, when people look to the idea of God and they say, if God were real, then X would happen. It's equivalent to my 10-year-old saying, um, if Liam asked me the other day, he's like, do you, do you have to pay to get a job? And I was like, oh, my friend, it is the exact opposite. I work, they have to give me the money. He, his mind doesn't comprehend it. He asked me, he's like, who, who does all your bills for you? I was like, me, I have to pay him. And he's asking all these questions. And he said, he said the other day, cause he goes, I don't know what a business day is. What's the difference between a business day and a day? So I was trying to explain to him a business day and a day. And this is what he goes, he goes, he said, I don't know how you adults keep it all together. <laughs> and I said, that's a secret. We don't, <laughs> we go from day to day trying to get done what's necessary. 
But that's the perfect illustration of Job. You and I think, I know what a business day is. I know how to pay bills and set up online banking. We have no idea what God is doing. We have no idea what he in his sovereignty is doing in the course of what we call a day to run and rule the universe. And we are so small. And so when we say the Lord our God is one, or that I believe in God, we're saying that we believe in a transcendently supreme, omnipresent, all-powerful, omnipotent being that rules over all things. And we have to establish that right at the beginning. And so then we move on to this second one, and we say the Father Almighty. So why do we call him the Father? Let's start here. I'm going to show you this. Uh, this is a, it should be a, a familiar if you've ever seen drawings on the Trinity. I've said this to you. Analogies and drawings on the Trinity are bad, so we try to do the best that we can, but all of them break down at some point. But this is an example, a drawing that, that you might see of the Trinity. And so you've got the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Again, this is not in order of importance, Okay. They are co-eternal, co-existing, and co-equal. Okay, so the Father is not the Son, and the Son is not the Spirit. The Spirit is not the Father. But the Father is God, the Son is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. And there's only one God. We don't have three gods, nor do we have one God who acts out in three different ways. We call that modalism, and that's that's a, a heresy as well. But we have three persons... Father, Son, and Spirit, who are of the same substance, because they're one, and yet being distinct from one another. And you say, how do you explain it? I don't. That's the best I got for you, okay? So go with it. Um, the reason that the Father and the Son and the Spirit are these things, and this is, this is where this is important, are not because of the way they act or their function, but because of their relationship to one another. Let me explain why this is, this is needed. The Father is the Father because the Father is unbegotten. The Son is the Son because he's begotten of the Father. However, I have a Son and he's begotten of me. However, he was begotten of me at some point in time. We say of the Son that he is eternally begotten of the Father. That means he was begotten of the Father, but there's never a time where he wasn't begotten. So he's the son, but there's never a time that he wasn't. And you say, I can't understand that. Exactly. If you could understand God, Augustine says, then he wouldn't be God. So we can't, but it also doesn't mean we, we throw away reason and rationale. Okay. Just wanted to put that in there. Cause sometimes, sometimes there's a little bit of like, oh, you just got to have faith and believe, but we don't believe crazy things. We believe real things, but it's just, it's not supernatural things that we believe in. We believe in supranatural. This is the world that we understand. And then this is the, no, the unknown world that we can't understand angels and stuff, which I would love to talk to you about one day. It's fascinating. Okay. The father is the father because he's unbegotten. The son is the son because he's begotten of the father, but he's eternally begotten, never without beginning and without end. Okay. And the spirit is the spirit of God who proceeds from both the father and the son. Unless you're Eastern Orthodox, then they say he only proceeds from the father, but that's not for us. So the spirit proceeds from the father and the son. The father is unbegotten and the son is begotten of the father. So you say, so why is that important? Here's why that's important. It's, it's important because it's the relationship that they have to one another that defines who they are as persons. But it is not what you and I would understand as functional. Functional means he's the son because he's below the father. That's not true. You say, so what is all this important for? Here's why. 
If you get God out of order, you will get your churches and your families out of order. Here's why. The moment you start saying that the truest reality of God is that there's a hierarchy, then what you do is you translate that into churches and families and people, and you create these hierarchies that have been this person is greater than this person, and this person is greater than this person. And then you start to read the scriptures to force into the context the thing that you already presupposed into your mind. Here's an example. Ephesians chapter 6. Let's just throw the monkey wrench right in on day one and get everybody mad at me. Ephesians 6. Oh, excuse me, 5. 22. Wives, submit yourselves to, the, to your husbands. As to the Lord, because the husband is the head of the wife. As Christ is the head of the church, he is the savior of the body. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives are to submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. What an easy out we get, right, guys? The, the, for the woman, he's got passage, this whole pack. Wives, submit yourselves in, in, to everything. And husbands, well, you know, love them. Valentine's Day, get them chocolates and things like that. Now, in verse 33, he says, To sum up, each one of you is to love his wife as himself, and the wife is to respect her husband. And he goes on into chapter 6, saying, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. But then he goes on and says, Slaves, obey your masters. And in other passages, and he says, masters, treat your slaves the same way without threatening them. And he says all these things, and he uses this phrase in here, and that's, that's, that's all I'll read for now, but he uses this phrase in there, submit yourselves to one another. And so what we do is if we have taken this out of context, we force that chapter to say it means something that it doesn't mean. Here's what God has done in his creation. He has create, created distinction for the purpose of showing his multi-layered truth, okay? That means it would be impossible for the Father alone to represent the Godhead. We have the Father and the Son co-equal and the Spirit co-equal together representing the Godhead. One of them points to the other who came to earth to do the will of the one but they all have the same exact will. They don't have different wills. They don't have different uh, preferences. They have a singular will together. None of these looks at the other one and lowers them or decreases them, but they all functionally work together. So when I know that, and I read Ephesians, and also Peter, what I see is in Scripture, the, the apostles telling us, yes, there is to be order, meaning things done decently. And yes, there is to be a distinction. You represent one thing that I don't represent. But he says the purpose is to look more like God. And that is, there is a place where if the world said, let's say to a man, how do you in your current role best represent Christ? I can represent Christ best by a complete life-giving, self-sacrificial, pouring out of my own self for the good of another being. I die, right? 
And then he says to the wives, how in your position would you best show Christ? I can give a life pouring out self-sacrificial servanthood that shows the servanthood of Christ. Now follow me on this. Nobody gets out easy on that. It is all people together in the body, whether it's the family body or the church body, completely sacrificially submitting to one another for the sake of the other's good and salvation because that's what the Godhead does. Jesus says, the Father has given me all things and he also says, I will obey my Father completely. And then he also says the Holy Spirit is sacrificial because every time the Holy Spirit speaks, he speaks to point us to Christ so that Christ could point us to the Father so that we all could be into one. And so now what we see in the scriptures is that the truth of the, of the Godhead can now reflect on all of us. I can sacrifice for you. You can sacrifice for me. The husband sacrifices to the wife. The wife sacrifices to the husband. The children sacrifice to the parents and the parents sacrifice to the children. He even says, um, if you're in a position where you're a master, your job is to not do it with harshness and evil, but to love and care for those who are in service to you. And he reverses it and says, if you're in service and can't get out of service, you too, even you, this is the beauty of Christ, even you in your service can reflect the goodness and the reality of the triune God. Because God reaches to all places and saves all things and all people and he redeems all things. And so the focus in those passages is not to tell you, I'm in charge and then this person's in charge and then finally this person if there's any charge left over. The point of that is to say every person can have the face of Christ in the, the, the condition that they're in in their life. And so you're not hopeless. Christ says, when I come back to judge the nations, these are on my left and these are on my right. Well, who are the ones that are on your left and on your right? And Jesus says, well, if you have visited me in the hospital, if you have clothed me, if you've given me water, and, he's, and they said, whoa, whoa, whoa. When did we ever see you in the hospital and not come visit you? And Jesus says, because I was not in your palaces and I was not among your wealth. He says, I was in your poverty. He says, I was in the face of the person that's dying. That's where I was. So even a person who is sick and frail and dying and alone is actually closer to Christ and can represent and be united with Christ because that's where Christ chooses to be. So Christ has said, I choose to be found in the male image. I choose to be found in the female image. And that is why in Genesis, we see that the story says God created them in his image, not Adam in his image. And then he threw in Eve, right? He created Adam fully in God's image. Eve was fully in God's image. And they together have a child who is fully in God's image. And so this is the reality of our God, as we're learning, but it's also the reality of his creation. And so we have to focus on this so that we get this right, right? When I see the mutual submission of, we see the Father and the Son and the Spirit and what they do. And I said, it's not proper really to call them a community because they're not three, they're one, that's three, but three is the one. We're a community because you and I, if, we, if we're hanging out, we never cease to be ourselves. But God is being, but he's also, okay? So bear that. So get, we get that in our hearts, and then we can read the scriptures appropriately. 
I believe in God, the Father Almighty. We said Almighty. We've already explained that before. Um, he has all power over everything, and he accomplishes it together with, it, with everything he wills. Together with his Son and the Holy Spirit, the Father is no, all-knowing and ever-present in every place. So if anybody ever says, why is God the Father? It's not because God prefers dudes. It's because he is the one from whom the Son is begotten and all things proceed. Okay? So we believe in God, the Father Almighty. And then we say, creator, come on, creator of heaven and earth. He, God creates and sustains all things through his word. And he gives life to all creatures through his spirit. And this is where I said, we have to have a Trinitarian mindset. Okay? The Father is he who speaks the word that he speaks is the son and the spirit that carries the word, it, the, the breath that carries the word is the spirit. So when, when, when Pastor Andrew, for example, speaks this morning and he's going to speak the word of God to us, what is happening is you're knowing the father, hearing the son, and that which stirs in your soul that says, yes, that's the spirit. When we sing, I don't know what songs we're singing today. I'm really, I got fingers crossed and prayers that we're singing hard there, the angels sing, right? That's just my... Lord, let it be. So when you sing that and it stirs my heart, it is not one of the five senses that causes that stirring in my heart to be drawn toward God. Touch, taste, feel, smell, hear. None of that draws me. It is the spirit that when he connects in my spirit, the spirit is the one that cries out within us, Abba, Father. So when I have a joy, in the word of God. What I heard was Jesus and what I know is the spirit because he's the one that draws us into this Trinity, right? And so everything we do has this Trinitarian mindset to it. And so he, he uh, creates the world. We see in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, but who is the one by which it was created? We know it's Christ. The word of God is the creator. And he gives life. We see that the spirit hovers over the face of the deep. When you move into the New Testament, you have, the same, you have the same story. We have Christ, the word of God in the water, the voice of God coming from heaven saying, this is my beloved son and the spirit settling on him or hovering over the waters, bringing life out again. And so that is, our, that is who our God is. All things, whether visible or invisible, visible, physical or spiritual were brought into being out of nothing by the word of the eternal God. He is, we, we, we say that it is out of nothing because it's not something that was, it was the, and this is where our minds can't grasp this, but before time and space and matter, there was only God being, the being. God doesn't have being, I said this to you, God doesn't have being, he is being. He himself is what it means to, to have being. I think sometimes we think of this. I don't know if I can do this well, but... This is everything that we know, think, have, see, or can, can, can consider. And we think that God is in here. I mean, he's the biggest thing, but he's still, and everything else is smaller than God, but he's still in here. This is not an accurate understanding of God. This is everything we know and think and see, and, 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 and God is the one who contains all of it. Right? So he doesn't have being. There's no being that exists outside of him. This is why things like um, you know, Indiana Jones. You ever seen the, was it, the tra Traders? The Raiders of the Lost Ark. Right? If you drink the, the wrong chalice, it's going to, oh no. Things don't have power in themselves. It's only God. So everything that you see happening in the scriptures 
every miracle, every, every uh, uh, bringing back uh, of something to, from death to life or everything that's creative or anything. This is the, the, the essence of God sending out his energies doing it. No, no thing. There's a, we don't believe in magic talismans and things we can hang around our, our neck that have powers in them of themselves. All power comes from God. And whether it's visible or invisible, physical or spiritual, and this is important too, physical is not more real than spiritual, okay? Uh, a, a prayer, although it is only see, uh, heard and not seen and felt, is as real and tangible as my cell phone, right? God does not, uh, God is not simply uh, a, 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 a physical being, nor in the opposite sense of it, are we to despise the physical and run only to the spiritual. God created both of them combined in a Fully alive uh, human existence is a combination of both the physical and the spiritual joined in together. Because remember, this is Christ. Christ didn't return into the spirit and head off, head off into heaven. Jesus as a man, this was the importance of the ascension. The importance of the ascension is not that Jesus disappeared one day. Or that they found his body and then they were like, well, he has spiritually gone back to his father. No, he, he rejoined his spirit and his body, now glorified, and took mankind. Humanity, flesh, stepped into heaven. That one I don't get. Because if you say heaven is a place of spiritual beings, I get that, right? Because the angels and, and God and such. But when you say human flesh has crossed over into that other dimension, into that other realm, what we're saying is, Jesus, Psalm 18, open up, uh, uh, open up the gates that the king of glory may enter in. This is the ascension. Christ steps into heaven as a human. So the, this, this, this God-man is now standing in heaven in the true temple, uh, interceding for you and I. And so the physical and the spiritual, remember this I said at the beginning, uh, we have no comprehension. The, if you can just continually make God massive and keep diving into this well, it just keeps getting deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. Uh, and it will help you all down your path of, of uh, Christian learning and spirituality. Remember this, that God created all things and he called them very good. The earth is very good. The world is very good. Humanity that he created is very good. The problem is that we've been corrupted by sin. And sin is anytime we take that which is good and, and steal from it its original intent, or we take something that is good that is meant to be shared and we consume it for ourselves. This is when we end up with pride and greed and lust. And it all stems down from this desire to take something and take from it all that is good. Um, I don't have time to talk to you about Anakin Skywalker today. But um, this, next week we'll begin talking about, um, and I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. So we'll talk a little bit more about who Jesus is um, in there. Let me stop this for now.